Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. I think it's really one word, which is entrepreneurial. Uh, you know, it was just a huge jolt into my energy, my career, reinventing myself. Exciting projects attract accomplished people looking to take on new roles and new challenges. We back, you know, ambitious teams, ambitious business plans, and we like to transform industries. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Embracing a challenge and going after the big prize is something that today's guest knows all about. We're sitting down with Maud Brown, who is a partner at PAI Partners. PAI is a private equity firm that invests in real economy businesses and manages over $25 billion in assets. Maud heads the firm's U.S. team and oversees investment activity in North America. She's involved in fundraising, deal sourcing, and portfolio company management, including the iconic juice company Tropicana. Maud joined PAI in 2019 after 18 years at InvestCorp, where she was a managing director and a member of the investment committee. While at InvestCorp, she led the acquisitions of Pro Unlimited, Nobel Learning, and the Wrench Group. Maud started her career in M&A at Solomon Brothers and Merrill Lynch in London. She grew up in France and holds a degree in business administration from ESCP Business School and a master's in corporate law from Université Paris-Saclay. Let's enter the arena with Maud Brown. in a very small village in the mountains in France. Uh, for those of your listeners who are wine connoisseurs, I grew up between the Burgundy and Alsace region. That's sort of how I tried to locate myself in southern Lorraine. I can't really point out where it came from, but from a very young age, I was attracted, interested, intrigued by the world of corporate uh, and corporate life and enterprise and decided to go to business school as a result of that and had an affinity for finance. I also had an itch for international and travel. And so when I graduated, London and the world of finance in London was something that felt very natural to me. How did you get that perspective, do you think, into finance and banking and kind of international business? Did that come from your parents or maybe friends or just reading? How did that perspective come to you? I always had a travel itch. So my parents were local lawyers, and but we always as a family uh, went abroad, discovered new opportunities. You know, my family spoke three, four, five different languages from Early on, as a teenager, I was spending my summers in Germany, in Spain, in England. Um, 
And so it just definitely had that affinity. And then my dad, who he was a lawyer, but had a lot of friends who came from the corporate world. And whenever they visited us in our small village, I was always intrigued by what they were doing. They were consultants and they were CFOs. And, and I just, that sort of piqued my interest. And, and then when I came to business school, I realized that, you know, that whole world of finance just came to me naturally. And, and that's where I wanted to start my career. That's great. And then you zeroed in on private equity. How did you learn about private equity and why were you drawn to being a professional investor? So I tried a couple of banks, right? I started with Salomon Brothers, which is a name that some of us will still remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then went to Merrill Lynch. And I realized that advisory was advisory. And what I really, you know, working on transaction was exciting for me. But working with a company for two months, selling them, buying them, and then letting go was somewhat frustrating. I wanted to be part of the, a longer-term journey, to work with that management team that I had established relation with and figure out if we could accompany them or have a slightly longer relationship with them. So private equity was sort of a natural emerging but sort of natural place to go, and the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. Well, you had great timing getting into the private equity industry, and you started with InvestCorp in 2001, when the industry, I guess, was a lot smaller. What was it like being there in the beginning, certainly the first 10 years, and having a front row seat as the industry just kind of exploded? I'm not sure that it was entirely conscious at my end at the time. I mean, I knew that I was in a very vibrant and interesting part. And obviously, it's always exciting when you're a young professional in a growing industry, right? So there was a lot of more capital coming into the asset class, a lot more opportunities, you know, the use of private capital as a mean of growth and transformation for companies became a lot more mainstream. And just, you know, every day was new and every day was different. And we're just learning about new industries and et cetera, and sort of naturally grew into that. And some of the disruption and dislocation that happened through it, right? 07, 08, to remember those years vividly and where we were yeah, well, yeah. In, <laughs> looking at, you know, how our portfolio was going to survive these turbulent times. And then from there on, we've had sort of 15 years of just incredible growth into the asset class and, you know, great for the companies that we invest in, great for the, you know, investors that we represent. And I do believe that private equity is that very important junction in terms of what it brings, both for private companies, an alternative to public market, ways for founders to transition, ways for corporate to transition some of their assets, and just bring a lot of fluidity in the, in the overall world of transaction. No question about it. Fast forward to 2019, what compelled you to take a leap and take the PAI opportunity here, kind of starting their U.S. operation from scratch? I think it's really one word, which is entrepreneurial. I had reinvented myself in a way halfway through my InvestCorp career because I spent the first 12 years of my InvestCorp career in London. And then in 2013, had moved myself and my family from London to New York to help continue the growth of InvestCorp's presence in North America. And I guess, you know, as challenging as that experience was, you know, it was just a huge jolt into my energy, my career, reinventing myself, etc. And when PAI reached out, I was so, you know, I was very uh, accomplished, as you said, in my InvestCorp career and had a great role there. But, you know, that opportunity for me was, 
you know, both intellectually, professionally, and personally very intriguing. I'm French, PAI is, you know, a European platform headquartered in France, and building you know, an incredible platform at a European level with a very limited presence if in the US, mostly through our portfolio at the time. And so, you know, bringing on, you know, that opportunity to build a new team, to build the PAI franchise here in the US was just incredibly exciting for me personally. Yeah, it was kind of a taste of your own medicine after 19 years of telling companies to advising them how to build things and put it together, you actually had to do it. So how was that walking in the first day and you had to say, okay, I need a team, I need the resources, I need all of this. How challenging was that to find people and to kind of sell them to come, come on board with you? I think that was the uh, probably underestimated, but also most rewarding part of what I just did. And you know, also joining in October of 19, so in March of 2020, the world shuts down and here I am building the team and, you know, with also the inability to travel back to Europe and get to know my partners there and, and et cetera. So, you know, luckily I had spent in the first five months a fair amount of time on the ground um, in Europe. So to have had that existing connectivity with the team and then, you know, just step by step. I mean, the good news, I suppose, is when the world went into lockdown, we did not have a portfolio here in the U.S. So I could really stay focused on continuing to build the team, continuing to build our effort, and use this time to continue to build the relationship with the transaction community. But yeah, we now have 10 investors here in New York. We have a great team, uh, but it's very different to build a team from the ground up when people grow through the organization and learn the ways of investing and the ways of thinking, the ways of driving a deal. What does a PAI deal look like? It's very different to do that from, you know, through a career and learning that through a career rather than bringing 10 people from 10 different horizons, backgrounds, et cetera, and being a few thousand miles away from our headquarters and doing all of that. So I think we're in a good spot, but it's definitely been an interesting effort. I'd love to hear kind of the origins of PAI and how it's evolved over the years and what you focus on today. Sure. So PAI, you know, dates back into history, 100 plus years when it was initially part of uh, Paribas. For the past 20 plus years, it's been a traditional GP with, you know, traditional GPLP relationship. We have eight offices in Europe and North America, and we invest across four sectors consumer, business services, industrials, and healthcare. Here in the US, we focus on the first two, consumer and business services. We manage over 28 billions of assets. That's our assets under management. And you know, since over the past 30 years, we've done over 100 investments in 12 plus countries. So you know, we pride ourselves in the strength of our networks and our industry expertise, and that's where we focused. There are a lot of private equity firms out there you know, everyone has a lot of capital. There's a lot of money floating around. How do you consider yourselves different? What's the expertise that you personally bring to the table? And when you're hiring a senior person, what is the biggest thing that you look for in their skill set to be a success? Very interesting topic always. So I think we have three values that we define ourselves with connecting. And these are connecting, partnering, and transforming. And I do believe that these anchor us and define us and help us in finding the right investment opportunities. Connecting is what we do every day 
doing today and what we're doing now. Um, that's what we do through our eight offices. That's what we do through our sector focus. You know, we look to develop those networks, those relationships over years and decades and establish ourselves as a trusted partner to management teams and to sellers in the industry and, this, and the countries that we operate in. So I think that's the connecting part. Partnering and this idea of partnership is something that I think you know, is important to us and as well as differentiated. We've done a lot of deals with corporates. We have you know, two large joint ventures with corporates at the moment. We partner always with a management team. There's always a management team at the other side of our partnerships. We have many uh, founders, entrepreneurs in our capital structures. And it is something that talks about our ability as people, as boards, as investors to connect with those companies. And transforming talks about how ambitious we can be in, our, in the thesis we underwrite. A number of you know, companies we've backed in ice cream, in industrial supply distribution, um, in you know, what we're doing now in, in juice here in the US. We back you know, ambitious teams, ambitious business plans, and we like to transform industries. And then in terms of the, the last part of your question was around the people, I think, and how you align yourself to that. You know, for me, that is incredibly important. That was part of the excitement of joining PAI, right? The ability to build a team here in the US that shares a culture, that shares a value, and that wants to be excited to be working together as a team and excited to go out and differentiate ourselves vis-a-vis -vis management teams. And so, you know, in terms of finding the right people is finding the people who, who share those values. Ambitious is a word that comes up a lot with Maude, so it's no surprise that her first landmark transaction in the U.S. with PAI was buying a majority stake in Tropicana brands from PepsiCo. Maude shared more about that deal and how it came about. So in, in a way, you know, that was a, uh, a very solid, perfect deal. Um, I don't like to use the word perfect, but it was a great yeah. deal for PAI as our first platform company or investment in the US. So, you know, in, in Europe, PI is very well known and the brand PI even, you know, is, is well known globally for our track record in consumer and in food and beverage in particular. A lot of brands that you will have heard of, you know, Yoplait, Penzani, um, Haagen-Dazs, EDs and dryers here in the US, sort of these are all companies that have been part of our uh, portfolio over the years. Uh, so that was sort of part of our DNA, that, that investment into consumer and food and beverage in particular. The second element is this partnership deal that, that we mentioned, and we had done a number of those before. And candidly, I think that's one of the things that attracted Pepsi, which is, you know, they knew that we had the language to speak with them, speak with corporates. They had referenced us with the likes of Nestle and others with whom we had partnered um, and knew that we were, could be a trusted partner and that we could bring that to the table. And so actually my very first week at PAI in October of 2019, as I was meeting some of the firm's core relationship, that name came up, Tropicana came up um, and you know we were asked whether it was something that would potentially be of interest. And we said, yeah, of course, we would, that would actually be very interesting. And then fast forward a few months, I think it was March 
10th of 2020. So as the world was shutting was down. Was shutting down, yeah. <laughs> literally. <laughs> I remember because my partner, Frédéric Sevenin, who's our CIO, was here in New York and we were worried whether he was going to be able to catch a plane to get back to Europe. But we had a meeting with Ramon Negrata, the CEO of Pepsi, in our offices, and we discussed that very partnership. And then, you know, the world shuts down and things go on hold, etc. But we were able to keep that relationship, do the work and, and build our equity story during the, those quiet months of the pandemic, I suppose, quiet or not quiet, and picked up the dialogue a year later. And that's how the deal came about. Amazing thing to live through. Tropicana was a corporate carve out. And I know PAI has a lot of experience doing that. What makes that kind of transaction, a corporate carve out, challenging and exciting? So I think what is exciting for us in a transaction like that is obviously Tropicana and the other brands that came in that portfolio, Naked, Easy, Kivita, these are all beloved, iconic brands with consumers. But they also, they were corporate orphan inside of Pepsi. And so it was your typical sort of what you, we call the, the corporate orphan strategy, which is as powerful and strong as these brands were within the size and the scale of Pepsi globally, they may not have gotten as much love and attention as they could have had on a standalone basis. And Pepsi is the first one to acknowledge that, right? They stayed as a partner, they're in the capital with us, and they acknowledge the fact that, you know, they didn't, with a dedicated management team that lives and breathes juice every day of the week, we could achieve very different results. That was the core of the thesis. And then, you know, comes what Glenn Walter calls Glenn Walter is the CEO of Tropicana. We brought him on after the acquisition. He calls his business triathlon, and that's separating, running, or managing, and transforming. Um, except that in a sport triathlon, you do these things one after the other. He and the team are having to do that, execute on all three in parallel. And that is sort of the, the challenge and the opportunity in a corporate carve-out in a way you, you, know, you have the... You bring an incredibly talented management team. They are focused 100% on the business, but they have to separate with everything that that entails, create new corporate structures, new IT, back office, et cetera. They have to run the business day to day. And then because we are ambitious, back to that word, they have to transform the business and the industry and bring innovation and bring newness. And that's the excitement around the carve out. So many people who analyze companies on a spreadsheet just like have no idea how complicated that would be to do. As you're talking about it, I can't even imagine doing it, you know? And and that's why you're betting on great people who run great companies, right? Yeah. And two years in, I mean, we, you know, January of 24 will be the second anniversary and we're still not done with the separation. So to your point, Tom, it's a very, it's a very heavy lift. Very complicated. You just announced another investment in a pet food manufacturing company, Alfia. Tell us about the company, certainly, and what you like about the pet sector. We had been looking, and my, you know, I credit my partner, Winston Song, who joined us a year ago, and Trevor Ryan to, you know, for bringing this one um, into the PAI family. But we had been looking at the pet space for many years, and Winston in particular uh, had been looking at that. PAI had invested into a number of pet assets. So we knew we liked the pet category. Some of the challenges with pet was that these are three big players, and then there's a lot of emerging brands that grow and have, you know, scaled to some extent, and then have the sustainability of this success is sometimes hard to assess. What we liked about Alfia, Alfia is a co-manufacturer, so they serve all of the brands and also the 
private labels, so the you know the store brands, and we like that business model because you effectively brand agnostic and you can you know focus your manufacturing capacity where you want to we were very familiar with that model because we have been uh, investors for the past six years in a large platform in beverages called refresco that we recapitalized a year and a half ago with uh, with kkr but where we're still investors and so we like that in beverages and so when we you know we had and we had identified pet as a category, so marrying the business model that we know with a ca- category that we like was sort of a you know very appealing investment proposition for us. Yeah, and it also seems like a pretty recession-proof business, knock on wood. When you get to a certain size, M&A has to be a part of the growth strategy. How involved are you on a day-to-day basis in kind of a portfolio company's acquisition pipeline and helping them with that? So I would say as an investor, we recognize where we sit as investors and we're not operators by any stretch. But this is one of the areas where, because of a transactional background, we can help management team think about that. And when I was talking about the theme of transforming as one of our core values, that often comes with M&A. So we often underwrite ambitious M&A strategies for our portfolio. And we can be, depending on the maturity of the team internally, we can be as involved as needed. We have very robust cap market team that can help with the financing of these acquisitions. And we can also supplement or act in lieu of an internal M&A team when the companies don't have that. So we always work with our management team very closely on that, helping identify, prioritizing pipeline ideas, product categories, geographies we want to grow into, and what would be the ideal target, you know, good match, shared cultures, et cetera, depending on the sectors that, that we want to operate in. Um, and we support our portfolio companies in their strategic development. I think at InvestCorp, you still work with entrepreneurs and founders, I know that, but maybe it was a little bit more of that at InvestCorp maybe a little less at PAI. Did you find any difference when you might be buying an asset from another private equity firm or a big corporation like Pepsi versus you know, just an entrepreneur showing up and is looking for liquidity or growth capital or something like that? How, how does your approach differ? I think at the end of the day, you know, as investors, we try to be compelling for sellers, management team, and how we do that is, are we the right partner for you, right? Can we help you? Can we make the company, the business, a better business? And, you know, I think that translates across sectors, industries, sizes. And so I think that is still very common. And, you know, if you're talking to an entrepreneur or founder, which we still do, or if you're talking to a corporate, at the end of the day, you have to find a language that works and and something that you connect with. And that's where the partnering idea comes up with, right? One thing is to be able to do the the work and the analysis and, and proving that you can be a valuable partner. But then it is about, you know, is this a team? Is this an investor that want to work together uh, because, you know, life's too short and and we all want to pick and find partners that we're excited to work with for a period of time. So I think this at its core, it's not that different. How do you approach ESG given that, you know, I think a couple of years ago it was the first thing out of everybody's mouth. Now maybe the pendulum has swung a little bit. How does PAI approach that and how do you approach it? 
So this is something that I was a little different when I joined PAI because PAI was, a, was an early mover in ESG. PAI was a, an early signatory of the UN Principles for Responsible Investing, which we signed in 2010. So that precedes me, obviously. And I do think that European platforms as a whole had a few years head start uh, on what we were doing here in the US. You know, sustainability for us is a very important part of our strategy. We have a robust uh, ESG team. We appointed a new head of our ESG uh, strategy last year. We established a sustainability committee, and I'm a member of that committee. And we are looking to embed ESG across our investment cycle from the very early stages of due diligence through transaction we have ESG committees uh, in all of our boards, um, and we drive that agenda through our exit. Uh, we've picked you know, decarbonization as one of our core themes, and, and we are setting up ambitions um, as a firm for that. Uh, we're implementing a tool to measure so the, effectively the carbon footprint of each one of our portfolio companies and of ourselves, and, and, and looking to... Um, invest behind sustainability efforts across our portfolio. So it is something that I think we all feel at different level passionate about at PAI and that we are looking to drive um, across our portfolio. But, uh, you know, it was a nice addition when I joined PAI to be able to focus uh, more on that and drive that effort at a different level. Absolutely. There's a lot going on in the current environment macroeconomically, politically, everything that's going on. What do you think about the current exit environment relative to maybe all of your experience in the last 20-something years? Listen, we came off of a period where, you know, the transaction velocity was just incredible. So, yes, since, you know, the middle of last year, it's been 12 months now where things have been a little tougher. And, and, you know, the IPO market, and you'll know that better than I do, is just reopening. But that 18 months hiatus was one of the longest one, uh, I think, in the history of certainly modern equity cap markets, where it was almost impossible to go public. So, you know, I think, you know, as an industry, we need velocity of deals and transaction to uh, come back. Uh, it feels like the debt market are more supportive. As you know, we talked about Alfia deal and we just executed a um, financing there that, you know, I think had a very good outcome. Interest rates are higher and they're higher to stay. So I, that, certainly that's what we assume and what we think. We still need to think how that impacts, how we think about valuations and value creation and where should we set our risk return and how do we, you know, what, how do we price equity returns and et cetera. But, uh, you know, it feels like certainly the equity markets and the debt markets are coming back. So hopefully velocity will, is coming back as well in the, in the private equity world. Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody a few months ago who was a, a lender and I'd said, you know, the, the, the credit market just doesn't seem to be there anymore. And the person said, well, the credit market's there. People just don't like the terms. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. what you have to pay for it. So my last question, Maude, is uh, you obviously moved to PAI for a great reason. And that's the fact that there are big opportunities here in the U.S. to really evaluate and invest in. Beyond Tropicana and Alfia, what sectors are you most excited about right now as you look to build out the platform? 
So we'll continue investing behind our core consumer sector, but where I have, uh, and, and you know, as I mentioned, I reinforced the team around that last year with a new partner joining us a year ago, and so he's turbocharging that growth. And I've now, you know, we've decided to drive a similar effort in business services. Uh, and business services is a very broad segment, but within PAI, we have sort of identified sub-verticals that we are comfortable with institutionally and where we think there is an interesting deal environment for us in the next 12, 24 months and beyond. Um, and we are, you know, increasing our activity in those segments and looking to um, hopefully convert something in the next 12 to 18 months. There's a lot to be learned from a well-established company that runs a large global platform. PAI's incredibly experienced team is working on some very big projects, and there's a ton of insights to gain from their strategies and approach. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Maud Brown for joining me on the show today. Hearing about two of her big transactions at PAI was very interesting, and we'd love to catch up with her again down the road. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.